And so friends, we're exploring some building blocks of faith together in these four weeks. And we began last week by thinking about praying and reading and the importance of staying connected to Jesus. This week, as we've heard already from our chat with Jenny and Willem, we're thinking about giving and serving. So let's pray as we do that. Gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and prayers of all our hearts gathered here together today be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Now, I would guess that for almost all of us, two of the most significant things that we have to contribute to the world are our time and our resources. And if we're seeking to follow Jesus, then it shouldn't be possible to separate what we do with these things as being in one box over here and our life with God in another box over here. And you know, God in the Old and New Testament says so much about money, for example. There are over 500 verses in the Bible about prayer. There's less than 500 about faith. And there are 2,350 verses about money. What's more, Jesus said more about money than any other single subject, including salvation, including grace. You can't be in sync with God whilst being upside down with what we do with our resources. Jesus says in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart is going to follow. Your treasure, your money, your stuff, your things, your time, your commitment, your effort, your energy. Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And it's although as if God is saying, I know your heart will always follow your stuff, and I just won't compete with that. I want your heart. And since your heart always follows your stuff, I want you to give that to me. Because once you've surrendered your stuff, you've surrendered what's important to you, then I have your heart. God doesn't need anything from us in order to be God. God doesn't need our stuff. What will God do with your fishing boat, your car, your iPhone, your clothes? What will God do with your time? God doesn't need that, but God wants your heart. And this is so wonderful because God has invited us into a relationship in which we make our love for things subordinate to our love and devotion to God. You see, God isn't after your money. It's you that God wants. It's not about wanting something from us. It's about wanting something for us. And friends, if we lean into our generous inclinations, and I'd bet that not one of us here doesn't want to be generous. None of us wake up in the morning and say, my goal today is to be the most selfish person in my street. We want to be generous. But so many of us find we can't be, and that's why we need God's help. And if we turn to Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, which is where our New Testament reading comes from today, then we find Paul talking about some of these things. Now the reading reads a little bit like a list of things, doesn't it? A section of wise sayings and slogans to put on tea towels and which church or Christian project hasn't invested in tea towels at some point. But there's more to it than that. It may be a brief sketch, but it's a sketch of nothing less than the whole picture of what it means to be God's people. Give people a few pithy phrases or you may end up simply trying to force people to do things they don't want to. Turn their minds around so that they see everything 
God, the world, the church themselves in a different light and the behaviour may come more naturally. Now in his letter, Paul isn't saying uh, new things. In fact, he's drawing on older parts of the Bible as he writes, including Proverbs, which is where in Proverbs 22, we first find the idea that God would bless a cheerful giver. Indeed, this whole chapter in Proverbs is about riches and poverty, and that's been the subject of this chapter and the previous one in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And he is, in the first instance, referring to money. It's saying to the church in Corinth that the way in which they use their money says something about the nature of their faith. Now, they're giving what they can give, or what they think they can give, without it really making a lot of difference which Paul paints in sharp contrast to the Macedonian church, which looks to give wherever and whenever it can, and where the people are more likely to start with looking at how they can give as much as possible, rather than how much they can get away with giving without feeling guilty about it. It isn't really about money, all this stuff that Paul writes about generosity, but the money is often a symptom of the state of our hearts and our faith. It's the same with our time and with our attitudes towards others. People with big hearts for others exude a generous spirit. They can't help it. And people like that are such a huge blessing. And it's tempting to think that these sorts of people, and I really pray that you're blessed to know some, it's tempting to think that they're just made that way and that's not us. And whilst we're not all extroverts or upfront people or anything like that, I think having a big heart is a central part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to see the best in people, to believe the best about people, to treat everyone with kindness, to be generous. Lives lived in this spirit are such a beacon of light. Perhaps this is one of the most obvious examples of thinking through our two fundamental theological questions where we ask what kind of God and so what? In this chapter, Paul talks about a God who loves, who blesses, who is generous, who gives, who is gracious. And elsewhere in the New Testament, this is reinforced over and over. In 1 John, we see how some of those characteristics of God have been displayed, where it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, that he loved us to send his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so friends, suppose we have a perception that God doesn't like a particular group of people in our community. How might that affect how we treat them? Suppose we thought that God didn't approve of healing people until they were perfectly right with him. How might that affect their prayers for those around us? You see, what we believe affects how we behave What chances would these and countless others of people have of encountering the good news about Jesus before they encounter a challenge about their lifestyle and behaviour? All the people in our community, regardless of their appearance, educational attainment, lifestyle, behaviour, sexuality, gender, are loved by God. That's what we're told. God is in very nature love. God is love. Jesus came because of God's love. And we go where God sends us and we live the way we do because of God's love. We're to actively look for opportunities to give and to bless and to serve 
rather than just doing our duty. It's not about how much I can get away with. It's about what a difference we can make. We seek to give because God gives to us. Can we do more is not supposed to be the challenge of the preacher, but can we do more is supposed to be the desire of our hearts. And friends, the love and generosity of God is also revealed in the way that Jesus shows preferential treatment to those on the margins. The Bible consistently talks about God's heart for the widows and the orphans and the exiles and the sick and the voiceless and the poor. Our faithfulness to what we read in the Bible won't come uh, to be judged on how much we've memorised, but instead on how our lives have demonstrated what we believe it says is important. Faith in God leads to obedience. And for those of us who are blessed with wealth and resources, that fidelity will be tested by our relationship to the poor. And as we look to respond then to this call of God in our lives, to this work of the Spirit in us, we need to be willing to go, to take action, to do something, to give, to serve. People shouldn't have to wait for example, to walk through the doors of the church to hear about God's love from us. We need to go, be proactive in bringing change. Throughout the Bible, those to whom God has revealed his big heart have usually been sent to share it with others. And so to Moses, we heard, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. To Isaiah, we heard, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? To Jeremiah, go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. It involves doing something. We have to go and demonstrate God's love, to share it and tell others about it and bless others with it. And you know, the best thing about that, or one of the best things about that, is that we'll be blessed as we do that too. Engaging in a generous, serving way of life will bless us. It's why Paul talks about those who sow generously, reaping generously. When Jesus visited a town or a village, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, turned the water into wine, or he left some other sign of God's unconditional love for the people who lived there. What sort of impact are we leaving? Are the places where we work and the places where we live and the community where we are better off and blessed because of the actions of the church and seeking to demonstrate God's love? Are the places where we live and work more joyful and generous and kind because we're there? Would people notice the lack of life if we weren't? And you know, we can never live generous lives and speak about God's love with any integrity or authenticity if at the same time we're being mean or cynical or miserable. In those moments, the challenge for us is to confess and ask the Spirit to do more work in us. In those moments, we're charged with remembering how God sees us and how God sees all the rubbish in our own lives and loves us anyway. And if God is prepared to bless us each and every day, if Jesus was prepared to go to the cross so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we can know hope and freedom and joy, how hard really is it for us to do what we can to be more generous to each other, to the church, to our families, to the world? And friends, it doesn't start with big things. Fostering these kinds of attitudes in our hearts starts with small, simple things that in time grow and blossom. So whether it's giving away your cake in the cafe, 
giving someone a gift, letting someone else go ahead of you in the queue, offering to pray with someone, committing to help with a group, giving to the church, supporting a friend, not ignoring the person you vaguely know on the train, but instead going over and having a conversation, inviting people to share a meal with you, sending someone an encouraging reason for no reason, an encouraging note for no reason other than it's a good thing to do, telling someone how much God loves them. Whatever it is, these actions help us to grow. They form us. So what can we do? What can you do to brighten up someone else's week? What can you do to bring joy and hope and laughter and life? Ask God today to give you opportunities to do it and eyes to see those opportunities. Life will take on a whole new invigorating freshness if you do. Are we giving what we're giving cheerfully, happily, looking to bless, keen to serve, keen to do what we can to see little glimpses of the kingdom and foretastes of the glory that is to come? If not, we need to ask God to keep chipping away. We should long to give cheerfully. Paul is inviting the Christians in Corinth to discover a whole new identity, not simply to do something because uh, someone tells them to do it, Paul's urging God's people to think about their part in the unfolding drama of salvation, which if we take a moment to ponder, the grace and love of God, the faithfulness and compassion of Christ, then this generosity should come naturally. In a healthy Christian life, everything proceeds from the generosity of God and everything returns to God in thanksgiving. Grace, generosity, gratitude, giving and serving are not optional extras for the Christian life. They're at the very heart of it all. Let us pray. And so, gracious God, we thank you for those whose service and giving has made our life with you possible, for those who have gone before, for those who help us and bless us, for those who first told us about your love, for those who first invited us to journey with you. And we pray as we give thanks for your generous heart, that by your spirit you would make our hearts more and more generous too, so that we might be the very best reflection of you in our world that we can be. May our lives speak of you in every way, we pray. Amen. Amen.